Welcome to episode two of Talking Shit About with me, Elizabeth Wipperman, your beloved host. This month we'll be talking about Quentin Tarantino, but before that, don't forget to like and subscribe, and if you're so inclined, you can follow the link at the bottom of the page to fill out the Google form if you would like to be a guest on the podcast. Let's talk some shit. today with my friend, filmmaker, squire, decorator of the dead, Yui K. Hi, Yui. Hello. Um, We are here to talk about Quentin Tarabino, the director. Did I say you're a film director? Um, I I have made some like minor things in the past. I'm mostly mm. aspiring filmmaker. I did go to college for film studies for five years, but had to drop out for health reasons. So, I mean, I've had some experience in uh, debating on whether like Quentin uh, Torrentino is actually like good or not. So like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had some practice and I've gotten really good at it, even though I haven't been in school since 2013. So what got you into going to film? Like, what was your idea going into that? Uh, Well, for me, like what kind of inspired me to like want to make movies in the first place was actually the Lord of the Rings films. Like, because I saw those like as they were coming out when I was like, you know, 10 or whatever. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, it's just been like trying to like gather the skills and like ideas to one day do that. And yeah, it turns out it's very hard when you're an independent person who's poor to like try and break <laughs> into this really uh, structured and very money driven field. Who knew? Yeah, right. The arts. Why? <laughs> <laughs> um, when do you think you saw your first Tarantino movie and do you remember which one it was? Uh, I know I was at least 18 or older because I don't think I saw my first uh, Toronto film until maybe 2009 or so and I want to say it was either Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction. So like the ones that are always like held up as like, oh, this is the greatest movie he's ever made. And obviously he's worth like thinking that like his style and his directorial like influence is worth changing the entire landscape of cinema for because he's such a fucking genius. Do you remember what your reaction was the first time you saw those? Like, were you a little underwhelmed? Oh yeah, I was super underwhelmed. I remember just instantly being repulsed by something like was it the feet (laughs) i mean that was definitely a big one uh but uh i don't know there was just some indescribable quality 
that I couldn't quite put my finger on and everyone at the time who I was watching it with was like, oh, you just don't get it. Or like, oh, you're like, you know, just shocked by like the like gritty gore or whatever. And it's like, no, I watch horror movies. I'm not afraid of that. It's not that I don't get it. It's just, there's something that disgusts me to the point of like, I don't enjoy watching this. And so ever since then, and people have been like trying to convince me that like, oh yeah, it's totally worth like going back and rewatching them. And so I started learning about film to be able to describe why I don't like it. <laughs> um. So you mentioned the gore. I feel the same way. Like, I don't want to say it's, it's sort of senseless violence, but at the same time, like that's one of the things I love in my movies what do you think it is about Terabino's movies that are so different from something like i don't know drive or taxi driver i'm sure other movies that don't have the word drive in them <laughs> but that kind of just i don't know something about the violence is different or maybe it's something cinematically what do you think it is um, let me check my notes uh i took extensive notes on this by the way nice. uh the reason i feel like his specific style of directing and depicting violence is not for like any other reason than it's a plot device like mm -hmm. he doesn't see any of the things that he really uses in his narrative world as like a narrative point it's not something to like enrich the story it's there to continue the story forward because without it we're never going to get to the end i guess and so i don't know that just like violence because it's like well this is you know how i've imagined this world and so therefore everything has to be disgusting and like gross and everyone's amoral at some point that becomes so overindulgent that like even when you're suspending disbelief like it's gone too fucking far when yeah like all of the characters use slurs in pulp fiction it's just like is every character in this movie racist like mm -hmm. i don't know it's just i can understand you know maybe the like racist grandpa you know who's talking about love and then he drops the like slurs sure okay yeah but yeah just everyone just like in the beginning scene of Pulp Fiction when the the diner, they're just like mm -hmm. dropping them like bombs. And it's like, what is the point of that in this context other than then to just say slurs? I don't know. It feels like he only knows how to write characters as if he was that character. Like that's the only way he can imagine these like things existing is like oh well i have to imagine myself as this person and if i was that person i would say this that's how yeah, all he, of his, like all of his writing feels like that and he always plays a shitty character when he plays as himself like he's always racist he's always using slurs and it's like why can't you be like stan lee and just rip um you know and do little one-liners and be yeah, funny like fun little like cameos instead of like a several minute long long sequence that you get to justify yourself saying the n-word for several minutes like that's not shocking it's not provocative <laughs> it's just being a shitty human being for art's sake and no <laughs> uh. 
do you want to just kind of go over the films that we watched or yeah. is there like a specific way you want to go about it? Um, I mean, yeah, let's get into ripping apart Pulp Fiction because yeah. that one's always a fun one to start with. Just because everyone thinks it's like, oh, it's the greatest movie ever made. And like, it's so cool because it's like, he completely changed how you can structure a story, even though like that was already a film convention before he started doing it, by the way. Like, it wasn't new. It wasn't like completely groundbreaking as everybody made it out to be. Um, and I have, after like rewatching it enough times, I feel like you could add and build way more subtextual, like, I don't know, depth to this movie if you actually viewed it in a much more chronological way. Like, not entirely. There are some sequences where, like, yeah, I get the whole, like, let's just completely chop up and melt time for, like, the effect. It'll be cool. That's great. That's fine. But there's no real rhyme or reason beyond like he can't write a linear story with smooth transitions mm -hmm. yeah it gets better throughout time like so for listeners we watched inglorious bastards django and pulp fiction i also watched jackie brown for the first time oh um have you seen it i have not i've done enough like reading and like looking into his career that i know about jackie brown but oh man Okay, I don't know about it, but I've seen it. So that'll be really interesting. Um, but that, I guess, this is only book that's a adaptation from like a book directly. Oh, okay. And it shows like it is linear. The black characters, you know, they say the N word like casually mm -hmm. to each other, but there's like, there's none of the blatant racism or like violence I, I there's like a couple scenes that I imagine Tarantino like threw in there and like yeah. a couple characters there's like a feet scene there's a couple feet scene it's mm -hmm. a plural but the plot is super linear and then yeah you see that again like later films like Django I think which one came out later whichever uh, one came out later was way more linear but it's still yeah for some yeah, I reason think Django would have been the most recent of the three that we watched for this episode and Inglorious Bastards would have been the middle one which I feel like that one pisses me off the most in how he just decides to like hyperactively insert scenes for no fucking reason but we'll get to that in a minute uh back to Pulp Fiction yes so in my opinion you could like this movie is only meant to be viewed in one way in one context and that's exactly how he has depicted it and that's fine that's you know a director's job in theory but like he takes it to the point where like he is not only like choosing which scenes go where but he's like he has even said it like he plays an audience for their reactions so like he's intentionally doing either like really crude stuff really intense things to like draw out that reaction I don't know in my opinion a very unnatural way in which an audience should react to a piece of subjective art but whatever and uh, sorry I'm just getting so wrapped up in how much I hate him that I can't Dude, think straight talk shit talk shit just okay let uh, it out fuck him <laughs> okay 
Um, so as a filmmaker, he has stated several repeated times that he completely eschews uh, like typical film conventions and like styles in which movies are made even though he is also a self-confessed cinephile. So I think <laughs> as someone who loves and respects and admires movies for what they are, you would want to like, you know, learn about the things and the nuts and bolts that make them, right? Mm-hmm. And like, even if you don't ever learn about film, like having grown up watching movies, living in LA, like you would have learned and been steeped in the language. It's just like growing up with like electronics now, like it's just intuitive. You you know and he like inherently knows about them and he knows them enough to like put them in his films but he never properly fucking utilizes like frame constraints or any of the like proper editing techniques that like he's like oh well i don't care about them so i just use them however the fuck i want like no you fucking don't you still follow all of the blueprints that have been set before you in the last hundred years and you just do them really shitty except for like one or two scenes and those are your standout scenes that everyone's like oh but look at this one it's so pretty and amazing and well shot and then like 90 percent of the rest of the movie is just fucking two shot back-to-back bullshit and like static trucking shots are like but, uh. <laughs> so what are like some of the techniques or things that he's like not or that i guess the things that he's doing like incorrectly quote unquote um something for example there are i think seven yes yeah, seven different major types of editing conventions uh, the first of which would be no editing, where it's just a continuous one-take scene. Like, uh, for example, a the entrance sequence into the House of Leaves in Kill Bill. That was a one continuous take. And, like, that was probably one of the first scenes besides the fight scenes that you'll have mentioned to you in Kill Bill. Notice how that's the end of the first movie. Like, we've gone through an entire film... And this is the first one that people are like, but look at this scene. It's so pretty. It's so cool (laughs) because he's like correctly utilized, just not cutting the film. Like he's so says he loves to do with his long takes, but they're just filled with inane dialogue. So whatever. Uh, Back to editing conventions, (laughs) Um, continuity editing, which would be like your typical like, uh, establishing shot we go closer in to show the setting and then we would switch to a person a over the shoulder and person b over the shoulders to like collapse space and time so you know like where you are the context of the scene and the major players and i mean every single filmmaker is going to use that no matter what because it's just how the visual language works classical editing would then start uh juxtaposing images together so like you would normally take two things that wouldn't be associated and then like pair them together like through filmmaking and editing to create a synthesis of what the filmmaker is trying to express or convey would that be something like cg not really cgi but like some sort of like special effects imagine more like a i'm trying to think of an example from a Tarantino film. Bless you. Oh. <laughs> uh, 
The, any of the sequences where you would uh, have an insert shot of like a newspaper clipping or like somebody mm. close up on like a bottle or like reaching towards a gun. Okay, so in Inglorious Bastards, when they're about to have the gun shootout in the bar, you have like the tension at the table and then we cut away to the bartender reaching towards the gun to like clue in that like, oh, he's aware of the tension rising in the scene as well. And that would then imply that, like, more is about to happen, like, in addition to what we have just watched. Thematic editing would be a series of edits driven by a particular theme. So think, like, montage or some type of sequence where we're moving really fast through time and space in a story to get through a lot of things that we wouldn't be able to, like, just view sequentially I'm trying to think of a tarantino example for that there was i feel like there was one montage we i watched and i was actually really into it but i can't remember what one it was i feel like there um, would have been one in django and change probably but yeah there was one in django unchained yeah was, so uh, like usually it's the standard like you know superhero donning their outfit or like training montage like something like that radical editing is going to be what most people would claim that uh, tarantino is constantly doing because they're like you can basically just do whatever the fuck you want and it counts um but I don't know, I feel like that's a really lazy way to go about your filmmaking when like most of your like long-winded exposition talks are just like, yeah, again, the two-shot setup. They're never creative or interesting. It's just to, like camera A, camera B, camera C, back to camera A, camera B. Like get some fucking variety, man. <sighs> I remember watching Brokeback Mountain in this film class I took at UM mm -hmm. and oh disclaimer I never finished it because I dropped <laughs> the class because of work um but we were watching it and the professor was pointing out the ways that they had positioned the actors and had the camera set up to show how intimate each scene was when um Oh my god, I can't remember their names. But the two main characters, you mm -hmm. know, when they're like... Ennis and Delmar, I think? Ennis and... I think Delmar might be the last name. Okay. But Ennis, Ennis and something. Jake. Mm -hmm. Jake Hall, mm -hmm. Um, And Heath Ledger. Mm -hmm. Jake and Heath. Um, when they're kissing, or like about to, just the tension just from like the camera angles. It's yeah. so powerful. And you just like... You're like holding your breath and you're like, no, mm -hmm. kiss and... Oh, uh, it's so great, like, without any words. And you don't even have to, like, bring up the awkward silence. You don't have to make it all meta. You don't have to say anything if and you have the right camera angles and work and effort. And people love to point out, like, oh, well, Tarantino does that, too. But, like, I don't know. Again, he is so heavy-handed with, like, his direction and how he wants you to react to this and how his actors are supposed to react in his story that, like, ugh, I don't know. It feels too constructed for me to be able to, like, appreciate it as its own thing. Oh, oh sorry. I was going to say that's why he choked that one actress in Inglourious yep. Bastards. It was for that control. He wanted mm -hmm. her face to look a certain way when she was being choked. Like, that is an insane amount 
of a control and b just like mm -hmm. disgusting weird i or imagine that i don't know or how he also spit in uma thurman's face in one of the kill bill movies uh mm -hmm. he also added in an extra sequence in kill bill to have her being choked by that chain and he was the other one on the end of that chain um the, yeah there's just so many moments where like he's like i have to be the one to do like the worst part of this and like people love to be like oh well that just means he cares about his actors blah, 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 blah. and then you know uma thurman comes out later and be like hey i was kind of pressured by him to do this dangerous sequence that almost left me permanently paralyzed and he's like oh it's my biggest regret of my career i feel so bad about doing that even though i still pressured her to do that at the time and never bothered to like publicly acknowledge that at the time like i'm sure he's privately apologized to her like at least i fucking hope but like you know he could have been like oh no this accident happened on my set and i am taking accountability for the damage i caused my actress because of my film but no like he's like look i'm the greatest i made this great feminist movie and everyone should stop saying that i'm misogynist please <laughs> Yeah, and it would be something if a director was like, I am the one who's going to do the choking because I want to make sure they're not actually being choked. Or, you know, just like an actual safety concern, which mm -hmm. again, like, I don't know if the director would even need to be that person. Um, yeah, you could easily- But it's not that, and he admits it. He's like, no, I want to look like somebody who's choking. I know what someone who's choking looks like. Like, that's his reasoning. That's so gross. Mm -hmm. um, oh, geez. We were still going through editing techniques, and then I got off on a tangent about how much <laughs> I hate him. Um, oh, yeah. Let's go back to those, because those were really interesting. Okay. Uh, so we got through radical editing, which, again, is what everyone's like, well, that's just what Tarantino is. And I'm like, well, that's fucking bullshit, because he's already done the last four also. <laughs> so what's your fucking point? But anyway... Uh, on to associative editing. This would be, sorry, my handwriting from 2010 is really terrible. Uh, oh, dang, those are old notes. Yeah, no, these are like my original college <laughs> notes. This is uh, amazing. I'm so glad they're getting put to use here. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, it would be when, like, uh, you, the example I have written down is the opening of Blue Velvet. So we would be implying Which is David Lynch. I had I yes. had a moment where I was like, that's not Tarimbo, is it? No, oh, it's no, not no. Okay. it's not terrible. It's uh yeah, it is David Lynch. David Lynch. Okay, sorry. Uh, Anyways, Blue Velvet. Yes, opening of Blue Velvet. We have kind of how he is implying one thing while showing another. Like there's that sequence where the man is having the heart attack and we can feel and see the lead up to that on screen by that like tension of the hose and then like it's slowly clamping shut because it's twisted up and then the man has the heart attack and then we've seen and heard like you know this idyllic like kind of uh suburban neighborhood like place where like nothing bad could happen and then like the heart attack occurs and then like the associative like other imagery to add to that 
occurrence of the heart attack for the dramatic tension is then released by like going into the grass. Then we go underneath the grass and we see a whole bunch of bugs and gross stuff to imply that there is something underneath of this really idyllic, nice facade. And that would be an example of associative editing where we are taking two separate things that normally wouldn't mean something when paired together on their own. It's slightly different than uh, the, uh, the classical editing where we're just juxtaposing things that would like make sense together. But this is more be, like a metaphor. Yes. Or like a simile. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we would be creating the metaphor on screen through editing. Last would be dialectical editing, where we would be putting two opposing sides together to then, once they come together, create a new synthesis. So think like battle sequence, think pretty much any of his fight sequences. And you can have internal and external contradiction and confliction between the frames as well in this to further heighten dramatic tension or effect or whatever you're going for. It just depends on your film and what you're going for. And those are all the seven aspects of editing, even though we got off on a tangent on number six. Okay, so what were they, what were they titled again, real quick? Uh, so there is no editing, continuity mm -hmm. editing, classical editing, thematic editing, radical, associative, and dialectical. There is a quiz at the end of this, so make sure you remember all of those. I got to set, like, uh, as a little bit of an aside, in college, I would have to sit through the same lecture every single, like, <clears throat> semester for all of my classes, because most of them were taught by the same person. Um, and all of them, yeah, were about uh, the seven forms of editing, mise-en-scene, the four uh, different frame constraints, which, by the way, are placement in the frame, face-to-camera relationship, territorial space, and frame constraints, as a fun piece of knowledge. <laughs> anyway, back to hating on Tarantino. So, uh, do you remember the character of Fabian? Yes, she's the one that goes on the really long, uncomfortable tangent about pot bellies. Yes. Yes. So can you tell me what her character, like what her entire character arc is for? Uh, she's some sort of plot device for Bruce Willis. Is she even a plot device? I don't know, but she speaks French and she has banks and she's very cute. And... Yep that's kind of that's kind of it right the entire point and purpose of her character is to forget the watch oh the watch how could yep. i forget the watch yep <laughs> and like literally that's the only thing her character does she makes like no breakthrough any sort of character development beyond like oh i forgot the watch and i apparently want to be pregnant so bad uh, but whatever and uh, I, I wasn't know. even like pregnant. I think it was like an inflation fetish. I was yeah. like Tarantino's telling us something here. Yeah, no, there's uh, anytime <laughs> he has a terrible woman character, I always think of her and how like everybody 
tells me that like oh well you know you could easily have that entire movie without her and it's like that's the fucking point though (laughs) she was just there to i don't know have her do all those weirdly vaguely sexual things for no fucking reason and to forget a watch and to be yelled at yeah and then our other let's see main lady would be mia right yes mia wallace played by uma thurman again and reminder, all three of the movies that we watch were produced and distributed by uh, Miramax and Weinstein Productions and namely Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, we see that name very first thing at the beginning of like, Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained, both times. Mm-hmm. Harvey Weinstein, you're like, oh, there it is. Yep. Immediately. Um, we should probably and, talk about that. Oh, um, yeah. Like, he would not have a career without him. Like, he's even said it himself. And, like, before, in the before times, before we knew about what a fucking trash bag he was, uh, Torbentino has said that he thought of him as a father figure. And then later, adding on the modifier of fucked up after the fact. Um, but you know, he always said that, like, oh, well, I didn't know, I whatever. And then once uh, Uma Thurman came out and was like publicly, like, oh, you know, I was pressured into doing these things and I was assaulted by Weinstein, he's like, I knew more than I sh- should have, and I definitely regret not doing more. And that's it, that's all he's fucking said. Mm-hmm. Like, <clears throat> Like, you don't get to just be as closely related and professionally involved with, like, one of the most prolific of users that we at least know about in Hollywood in, like, modern history. And be like, oh, well, you know, I was, like, told in person, like, firsthand accounts of this by not only Uma Thurman, also an ex-girlfriend of his. Um, and he was like, well, you know, I can't, you know, stop working with him until it's a sudden PR nightmare. Like, yeah, that's totally fine. But as a weird aside to this, just to show the weird levels that like he can get to, like if he feels threatened or emasculated or is somehow, I don't know perceived and not as a fucking genius uh there was an incident where letterman made a kind of offhanded remark about like tarantino being like kind of a squirrely little guy and like him dating this famous pretty actress like oh late night comedy joke it's whatever two days later david letterman gets a call from tarantino yelling like completely like lost his shit mad yelling at him like i'm gonna fucking beat you up and letterman thought it was a joke so he's like do you want to like use fists or baseball bats (laughs) and tarantino responded baseball bats because i'm gonna bash your fucking head in yeah that sounds like something you'd say yeah all for being called to quote david letterman a squirrely guy a squirrely guy yep he's a squirrely guy that's totally worth calling them up 
threatening to beat him to death. Good job, Tarantino. Oh, and the best part about this story is he didn't bother apologizing until he was on the David Letterman show promoting, I think it was Inglorious Bastards, possibly. And it wasn't until his publicist was like, hey, you should like probably apologize to him that he did. And uh, just to get back to the Weinstein situation, to quote uh, Torbentino, he, in his own words, said that what I did was marginalize the incidents. Anything I say now will sound like a crappy excuse and has left it at that. Kevin well, Smith has done more. Like He has gone on to do- donate all of the residuals from all of his Miramax productions to women's groups and like people who are helping survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault and things like that. And all Tarantino can fucking manage is like, you know, I am so sad that I didn't sit him down and talk to him. I'm so sad. Like, fuck you, man. (laughs) There are 107 different people who have Actually, that's just women, um, not including men, who have accused Weinstein of sexual harassment or assault, and about 20 who have accused him, again, just women, of Mm -hmm. rape. So if anyone is wondering, I mean, once is more than enough, but the scope is horrendous. And he even mentions, like, he knew it was more than just rumors and more than just the normal gossip. And yeah, he did nothing about it. He knew he has said and went on record saying that like, I should have done more. If I had done the right thing at the right, at that time, I would have stopped working with him, but he didn't, he fucking didn't. And everyone's just like, oh, well, you know, he made Pulp Fiction, I guess. So I guess he gets a free pass. Is there anyone? Yeah, that's even being held accountable except for maybe Weinstein at this point. Yeah, like, mate. For like, yeah. everything. Uh, <laughs> uh, like 20 yeah. years in prison, I think, and that's it. And or at least as far as I know. Mm-hmm. Oh, and a f- another fun uh, uh, quantum tortellini fact that I learned. Yeah, let's get my... back to this asshole. Yeah. Okay. So, like, completely forgetting his fucking movies at this point because like i don't goddamn care anymore like (laughs) his film conventions are garbage like i thought the most unnecessary scene in inglorious bastards was when they introduce uh gobles and his interpreter like who is gobles again uh that would be the propaganda minister in inglorious Inglorious Bastards, based on an actual historical Nazi, uh, who's also a piece of shit. Uh, and like when they introduce this character, he's like, "Oh yes, it's Herr Goebbels and his French interpreter." And then like hard cut to them fucking for five seconds, oh, and then really? then cut back. Never brought up again. Never like we could have easily gotten this through fucking subtext. Like, there was no other reason than to be like, we're filming this act- actress having this done to her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, okay. So, yeah. kind of going off of that theme, um, like, 
we all know about like Roman Polanski and what a piece of shit he is. Let's, can that. we do brief, brief, you okay. know, full overview? Okay, but... so Roman Polanski was once a director, uh, is featured in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because uh, Torbentino has reimagined the gruesome Manson murders and the death of Sharon Tate for dramatic effect because uh, that's fun. That's super great. Uh, yeah. But anyway, Roman Polanski was convicted and accused of drugging and raping a 13-year-old back in the 70s uh, and fled to Paris to avoid persecution and has stayed there ever since. Never has been actually convicted of these crimes, but like refuses to return to the States and still makes movies still gets to live his fucking life i just assumed that he was somewhere in america and quote-unquote canceled i had no idea nope amazing but anyway there was once an interview done on the howard stern show where this was uh oh someone asked him the question like why do you think it's okay for Roman Polanski to be winning like the highest award in Hollywood when he's like a known disgusting horrible person and he's like well you know he makes great films and I don't think like he called it statutory rape and then when pressed further he said that the girl was into it and only 15 years later did he bother apologizing about his remarks like what the fuck i want to be yelling right now but my cat is taking a very noisy shit in the cat box right now <laughs> but i am i am over here feeling like, just yeah no that, off. like my entire time researching this was just learning new fucking levels of how disgusting he is and how much i hate his voice and the way he just words things like, oh my God, I never, like, his voice reminds me of all of, like, every single, like, that guy in any film class I've ever had. Mm -hmm. Because, like, that's who he is. Like, that's how he acts, is, like, that fucking guy who always has to, like, be edgy and, like, take things to the extreme. And, like, just fucking, I don't know, smoke some weed, dude shut the fuck up and get away from me but yeah no his like performative after the fact apologies about every single disgusting thing he's ever like gone out of his way to say like it's not like he's like trying but he just somehow further shoves his foot farther up his ass like <clears throat> yeah oh. i don't I can't think of any other director that is like having has this much controversy like in our time unless you can I mean like I guess like our I'm gonna say our time but I don't know I guess is there anyone you can compare him to that's just like so unpleasant to work with and just like as a human I mean think of any of the like super great quote-unquote directors that people hold up uh Hitchcock known disgusting like philanderer like misogynist like badgered tippy hedron to the point of like ruined her career post birds um was accused of sexual assault but it was allowed to keep making movies woody allen 
uh, mm. continues to make movies despite being a disgusting predator. Like uh, there was Stanley Kubrick who famously won awards for psychologically torturing Shelley Duvall. Uh, the way that a lot of filmmakers utilize abuse and torture in their movies for the sake of art just because they're fucking control freaks to the point of sadism is unacceptable and i don't know it's a really disgusting pattern in hollywood and people will excuse it just because like oh well this art was great it's made yeah. me really have to sit and consider like why i want to be in films like why do i want to be a part of this industry when every single thing i learned about it makes me hate it even more it's because it's a boys club Ugh. it has that boys club energy which has got to fucking go yeah um want to burn that shit to the ground <laughs> but something i have learned as i've gotten older at the ripe old age of 27 um <laughs> Is that if it looks like shit and it smells like shit and it tastes like shit, it's probably shit. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you have, for example, a band like the Melvins and they have a history throughout their entire career of throwing up Nazi salutes and using Nazi imagery mm -hmm. and all of these things in their music and everyone's like, oh, they're just edgelords. And then later you see them doing interviews with Gavin McInnes of the Proud Boys and mm -hmm. people are shocked that they're racist all of a sudden. It's like they've always been racist. People who aren't racist aren't going to wave around, you know, a swastika. Like they might be one of those new agey people, but they're, those people are obvious, you know, and they're just yeah. weird trying to take it back. But that's their own thing. <laughs> but... Yeah, if it looks like a Nazi or looks like a domestic abuser or does has the signs of being something, it's probably that thing. Yeah, like when you go on record that like I write amoral characters for an amoral world because that's how I want my world to be. Like maybe maybe at some point you're the amoral asshole and maybe your movies aren't that good. Because he also just cannot withstand any sort of negative criticism of himself or his movies. That's something I kept finding over and over again in my research is like anytime someone brings up like an even partially valid criticisms against like himself, his movies, his artistic style, he's just like, well, you don't fucking get it or like find some accountable out for himself to never like fully you know take yeah, he, credit for what he fucking does he gives off really big like i think it's because of samuel jackson like mm -hmm. my best friend is black energy so i can't be racist uh, um i made Django unchanged so i can't be racist yeah um Oh, man, there was an interview I once watched where uh, Tarantino was on uh, some talk show on the BET channel with Jamie Foxx, Kerry Washington, and Samuel L. Jackson. Everyone is just talking normally, except for Tarantino, who can be heard using what can only be described as a jive accent. Mm. 
and you can just see it on Samuel Jackson's face. He's just like thousand yard stare. Like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be sitting here listening to this. And then all of the interviews you see are just him praising him and his directorial style. And it's like, I want to know how he maybe actually feels. Yeah, it's like, does he need money that, I feel like he can't need money that bad where he needs to, like, suck up to to Rainbow, you know? Yeah, like, there's no way that Torrentono is that influential that Samuel L. Jackson can't work with other directors. Like, there's no fucking way. Like, uh, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. People will always, like, blow off, like, their, like, white friend or whatever you know as or like white people in general it's like sometimes like the shit that we say I mean collectively I try not to make racist jokes but you know mm-hmm. some people are able to recognize that it's intended as a joke but yeah. like you can't do that with like the physical abuse mm-hmm. because like it's there it's like it's happening you know like- Everyone loves to point to Kill Bill as that like you know oh it's like such a badass female empowerment movie because like she gets to kill all her abusers and stuff and it's like not ever touching or processing the fact that like she went through years of abuse and torture to get to this point like yeah she was also a criminal like yeah she also killed people but while in that coma there was that nurse who apparently had a money for rape program going what the fuck? And just because she gets to fucking kill those people doesn't make that okay. And I hate it. He shouldn't get to be the person, like, carelessly spitting out and shitting out these terrible movies with no nuance or, like, tone reflection or, like, anything. Because, like, look at any of the controversies that have happened since, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, like especially considering that his depiction of <coughs> Bruce Lee uh, upset and tarnished like his perception in Hollywood and like it upset his living surviving daughter to the point where like she wrote a column being like, hey, I'm really fucking tired of white men in Hollywood trying to tell me who Bruce Lee was. So mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe put some goddamn consideration into your depiction of him. And he's like, oh, well, I get why his daughter would be upset, but everybody else can, like, just go fuck off. He makes a really shitty half-assed exception for, like, oh, yeah, I understand why her his family would be upset with how I made him look like an arrogant, egotistical asshole who apparently thought he was, like, better than everybody else. I haven't ever seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because I just, everything I learned about it makes me never want to fucking see it. Yeah, I watched it, honestly, yeah, don't really remember much of it. I remember kind of like being like, when is it gonna, when are we gonna get to the Manson thing? When are we gonna get Mm -hmm. to the Manson thing? And then being like, oh, it's like in Glorious Bastards where he changes the ending. Like, yep. how they, spoiler alert, uh, how they killed Hitler is different. Like, woo! Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's like Pulp Fiction formula of movies, which I just kind of expect from him at yeah. this point. Um, or yeah. one 
should, I guess. Um, so that's another thing that I really hate about his filmmaking is that like everyone expects it to hit the same notes every single time, no matter what the story is. Like a Pokemon game. Yeah, like who, what other director <laughs> do we ever ask that of? Usually if a director like comes out with anything that's like vaguely similar they're like oh what a hack they're like unimaginative like but tarantino can go around using the same fucking five things in all his goddamn movies and almost the same spot in all his goddamn movies and like be considered a fucking genius ah! like the only so example i can think of right now would be the trajectory of m night Shyamalan's career versus mm -hmm. uh Tobden Tino's uh, mm -hmm. just because he had a few good breakout movies and then people actually stopped and critically looked at his shit and it's like oh wait uh, it's not that good and he's like no don't worry it's good and then he made the happening and we're like mm, it's not that good where where was that critical yeah. thinking with fucking Tutuola like what the fuck he shouldn't get a free pass for like rehashing all this fucking shit like i don't know find some movie that's not about an amoral asshole who's a criminal who has to go on a vigilante killing spree to i don't know somehow right or wrong like fucking be imaginative dude jackie Bitch. brown was such a breath of fresh air and just like yeah again knowing that it was it's not his story mm -hmm. it's somebody else's story and it's about a they mentioned her age a couple times at a 44 year old black woman mm -hmm. and like she's great and it's a great story and there's like maybe two deaths in it and like mm -hmm. there's a trunk shot of course there's some yeah. feet i remember watching it just like wow like it, like this is i don't know it was <laughs> just like such a fun thing to watch in comparison to like the other movies were like, mm -hmm. so I get like songs stuck in my head a lot, but I'll also get like words and phrases stuck in my head. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that ever happens to you, but oh, like yeah. the past few days of watching Tarantino movies over and over of just like, I'll get the N word stuck in my head and I'm just uh. like, oh my God, like <laughs> what is happening? And, it, <laughs> and it's just like, this is not one of the things I want cycling around in my brain. But like after watching Jackie Brown, that wasn't an issue. Mm -hmm. Um and so i'm really curious about your note because you said you have some notes on jackie brown right um it's mostly just you're like kind of like watching video essays about his career and his filmmaking style like i know that the movie is supposed to be that kind of love letter homage to the black exploitation uh mm -hmm. film genre which what the fuck that was a film genre goddamn yeah. 1970s <laughs> like what the hell but that's about the extent of it that I know beyond that, like, people love to claim that, like, oh, well, he revived uh, the lead actress's career because of this movie. And, like, it's somehow, like, absolves him of any, I don't know, critical thinking on, like, female and race topics. Like, eh? yeah, it's like. Lady Antebellum changed their name from Lady Antebellum to Lady A, but mm -hmm. then the black woman that was using the name Lady A, like yeah. one anti-racist action, quote unquote, maybe even if like, or, you know, yeah, I guess an anti-racist yeah. action doesn't negate or like 
-hmm. I don't know. It doesn't work that way. Like it's like doing your best all the time. Mm -hmm. It's like him trying to weasel out of the whole like accountability with working with Weinstein of like, oh well, I realize now I should have done more, but like, are you gonna do anything more right now? Are you gonna like actually show that you're trying to make up for it or like? showing that you're listening no like anytime anyone criticizes you on matters of like sexuality like race or any of the things people love to be like hey this is kind of shitty that you do maybe don't and he's like well fuck you you're just you don't get it and that's not how you respond to criticism like a rational adult you would like you know sit and listen and be like oh well, let me see how I am a part of that and what I can do to change that. Like, it's not that fucking hard. <laughs> it's just like men. Like, <laughs> and, like, I know for the longest time I tried to like never think about him as a person while trying to criticize his movies. And I've come to the point where like there is no way that I can do that because his movies and his filmmaking are an extension of him and I hate him so viscerally and so thoroughly that like anything he produces makes me that upset because it is inherently him it is inherently his signature and that's why some people are like oh he's such a great director because you can always tell that it's his style but you can do that with Steven Spielberg and it doesn't have to be the exact same fucking story every time uh you can do that with uh Ron Howard you can do that with James Cameron like there are other ways to define yourself as a director and not pigeonhole yourself to the point of absolutely no artistic growth ever for the sake of art and not be a pretentious asshole yeah, I'm just looking over my notes for each of the movies, just kind of like seeing if there is anything I missed. And like most of them are notes about like the movies themselves, which we're not going to get into, A, because of yeah. time, but B, just because like fuck them. Yeah. But, um, it's just like, it's all like feet. Like everyone has a note about feet on it. <sighs> yeah. And just like violence. So like inglorious bastards my advice is like i've mm-hmm. never played wolf's wolfenstein is that mm-hmm. the game yeah then just go yeah. play that game probably or like watch a world war ii documentary or just yeah. like do something else um django unchained just play red dead redemption or mm-hmm. red dead redemption 2 i yeah. highly recommend so many um, better ways to like or you could even watch any of the like hundreds of movies he fucking references by like copycatting the shots from and Mm -hmm. then you can like actually understand what the fuck he was trying to do because that's another aspect of his filmmaking is just straight up copy pasting sequences like famous sequences from other movies into his own with his own like paint job on it and it's like look I made it Django Unchained is based off of the 1966 Django, which mm-hmm. is loosely based off of Yojimbo, mm-hmm. just like a samurai movie from Japan, which I guess a lot of there's a lot of overlap between like spaghetti westerns and samurai mm-hmm. movies, yeah. which is kind of cool. 
Um, and I didn't get a chance to watch Yojimbo, but I would recommend everyone just do that instead because then you'd get more context anyways and you'd be able to apply it to more things instead of just mm -hmm. watching Django Unchained. Watch something with like from a black perspective instead of like the gross mm -hmm. like watching a black woman get whipped and yeah the you know people torn apart by dogs the fight to the death sequence like mm -hmm. i like i have watched movies that are like meant to be pain slogs and like there's nothing good or redeeming about them that one felt excessive and celebratory in its like violence slog yeah and i'm white and just like i don't know i can't imagine what anyone else's reaction would be but i was just just like this is too much yeah no i like, i remember being like kind of just sucked into my seat and just like oh my god he's actually gonna fucking show this oh my god and again like i've watched a serbian film and this upset me more <laughs> because not yeah. because like just the gore and the violence like but just ugh, ugh. I don't know there's better ways of representing extreme pain like that and they definitely like the scars I feel like the scars are a good you know way to do that mm -hmm. show the pain without like bringing us back there yep was there anything else you wanted to add on any of these movies I will be honest, I never got around to actually rewatching Django and Chain, so I'm trying to like no remember it from my mind because I got just so sucked into reading about how shitty he is as a person that like yeah, it took away oh, all my time it. to watch these movies. But oh no, <laughs> you didn't need to watch him. I watched them, and I... I say you can just play Red Dead Redemption too. Sweet. I recommend it even. You get little side quests with characters who are people of color and they're really interesting. And you can get like, I don't know, I've put hundreds of hours in, you know, versus mm -hmm. like a God, like a movie that's way too long, like two and a half, three hours that doesn't need to be that long at all. Yeah. Uh really. And like again, there's nothing wrong with long format movies, but like I don't know. Maybe make your dialogue sequences interesting and have relevance to the fucking plot. Like the Cohen brothers know how to write better dialogue than uh, Toronto because, oh my God, they can get through an exposition sequence so much better, like as a palate cleanser for all of this uh, Torben Scano mm. research that I did, I had to watch uh, just something that wasn't him. And I ended up watching Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I and... watched that like last week. Oh. Yay. But yeah, like I watched that as a palate cleanser and I was just blown away by like not only the shot variants, the like non-static camera movement to show movement and emotion and all of these cool things that you can do with a camera and being a director. And it's like, wow, I saw fucking none of that. <laughs> Yeah, the Coen brothers are such a great example, too, of the, mm -hmm. like, controlled hyper-violence. Yeah. Like, ultra-violence. Like, um, like, no country Fargo. for old men. Yeah. Fargo. Oh, my God. Controlled, but and so good. Even if you want to do, like, a non-linear, like, 
radically edited story sequence, like look at uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which again is done by the Coen brothers to add to uh, Tutuola's like total asshole and like complete control over things. Like he has hated on the fact that like we are switching away from like actual film to like digital video. And he like thinks that's going to be like the death of filmmaking and like the end of cinema because you lose the magic without the actual film. Like, no, you fucking don't. It just makes it a less classist, uh, elitist field, you fucking bitch. Like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, like, you can do that if you want, but the rest of the world is going to do the rest of the world. Like, at Welcome some... to 2021. Yeah, like, at some convention, like, some person asked, like, what can I do as an aspiring filmmaker to, like, learn more about film? And he was on a panel with, like, James Cameron and a couple other directors. And Cameron was like, just take a video camera, you and your friends, like write a sequence and film it. You'll learn so much more that way than anything I could ever say to you. And Tarantino was like, I just want to chime in and say, yeah, that's a great idea, but take a film camera, not a video camera. <laughs> He's like, I had the same idea, but here's it better. God, I hate him. That's kind of, that probably sums up his career pretty good. Basically, huh? like oh, I like that you did this, but I'm going to do it more pretentiously, so therefore I'm right. If you could say anything, if you could get Quantum Tarantula in the same room with you, sit him down, or keep him standing up, or lay him down on the ground, whatever position makes you feel better, mm -hmm. what would you tell him? What would you say to him? I would look him straight in his ugly, lumpy face. And be like, quinoa, Torbenscano, I fucking hate you, you goddamn prick. And then I would just want to, I don't know, spar to kick him. And for Are we whatever kicking reason, him into a hole? For whatever reason, I'm imagining, like, the warehouse from Reservoir Dogs, and, like, he's on mm. the folding chair. Yeah, it's poetic. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a movie I would watch. Yeah. We just get to like all yell at Tarantino and then we can cut off his ear, make him drown in a pool of blood, and then it will be visual synthesis. Yeah, and then we'll have like a some sweet 80s pop song. Nah, it's gonna be like some background. shitty like retro like mid-70s song that like absolutely no one's heard of for like 20 years. <laughs> and we'll suddenly be fucking everywhere. I'm going to go look for a song to figure out which one that one's going to be. Okay. <laughs> um, Yui, this is the part where you can plug any of your work if you want to do, like, any of your art stuff or if you have any, like, film stuff out there. I haven't really made too much film stuff. Like, I have a few of my own personal projects up on YouTube. I think if... Uh, you search under my actual name, Eustacia Catherines, you would be able to find a few of those, which I have made a music video once, and I was actually really proud of that. Uh, I have some art pages where I post all of my bone art and sewing art, which would be 
at Fawnhouse Designs, uh, F-A-U-N-H-A-U-S Designs, both on Facebook and Instagram. And you can keep up with all of my bone art and sewing there. And I don't really do any other podcasts or things like that beyond just being guests on episodes for my friends. Yes. Well, Yui, you're an excellent guest. I'm really, really glad we got to do this. And fuck Tarantino, dude. Yes. Fuck that thank guy. You, thank you for the outlet for letting me yell about my favorite topic to hate. <laughs> yes, anytime. 